Would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, I just thank you for bringing us together this morning. And Lord, I know it was an hour earlier, but I thank you that you got us all to be together. And Lord, as that song brings out, we are a body within your church. And Lord, we need to depend on each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to reach out to one another just to support ourselves. Father, we thank you that um, you gave us each your love and your grace. And Lord, that uh, you gave us your son, Jesus, to give us a way to be close to you and to approach you and to be holy. Father, help us this week to just look for opportunities we have to share your love and to support those within our church family and to support those, Lord, that we know need you in this hurting world. Father, be with us. We praise your name, and we invite you here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. They were excited, weren't they? That was great. Although the, uh, a couple of them, I think, on the end down here were a little terrified. Some of you probably uh, were feeling for them. Uh, I hope that you're getting ready for, uh, for Easter. It's just a, you know, a few weeks away. It's a chance for uh, when really our community, friends, family, really are open um, to an invitation. And I would just uh, plant a seed in your mind to begin to pray and think about who you might invite uh, on Easter, on Easter Sunday and Palm Sunday. Uh, on those two Sundays, we really are going to focus on the wonderful message, life-changing message of the cross and the tomb, the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, and the difference that that makes in individuals' lives. So it'll be a great opportunity for you to invite someone that uh, doesn't know Christ personally, doesn't have a church home. I encourage you to do that and to pray about that. On Easter Sunday, of course, it's a great opportunity for us to reach out. We would love your help. We need... Um, help with some of the littlest ones uh, in our nurseries and if you could volunteer even that just that one Sunday uh, on Easter Sunday because we'll have uh, quite a crowd we'd love to have uh, some extra hands on deck that kind of thing uh, and so if you could help you could call Sue Jennings and you can uh, in the announcement sheet or the bulletin you can see her name uh, you could call the church office here uh, or email her Please, we'd love to have your help and I just would, would throw that out to you. Great way for you to serve uh, on Easter. You can come to one service and serve in another one. So thank you for that. Take your Bible if you, if you brought it with you. I encourage you each week to bring your Bible. I strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, we uh, are going to look today, continuing this kind of final installment, thinking about building bridges. This morning, building bridges again to one another. And we're going to really... Look at chapters 18 through 20 of 1 Samuel, kind of summarize uh, that great story of David and uh, Jonathan and killing of Goliath, that whole, that whole story in there. Let me just summarize and just paint a picture for, for us today. Imagine, David had faced the giant and had won. There on that battlefield before him, lay the huge carcass of a man looking much like a nine-foot-tall Andre the Giant, except one fairly significant change, is that David, having vanquished Goliath, took his sword and actually cut, Scripture tells us, the head of Goliath off. And so imagine David standing there over this huge nine-foot-plus-tall giant, 
that has just been defeated. The Philistine army stood for a moment, realizing that their champion has just been killed. They stand for a moment in disbelief, and then they turn on their heels and run for their lives. Immediately, the small yet handsome young David is ushered in to meet King Saul himself. As he comes into that tent on that battlefield, King Saul is there. David, young David, with a pocket still full of rocks on the one side, on the other, holding again the head of Goliath in his hand, holding it much like he would, the trophy head of a lion he'd killed, uh, protecting his flock. And so there he is, standing in front of Saul. King Saul sits there with utter amazement, his royal mouth ajar as this champion stands in front of him in utter amazement at what this kid did, something that the entire army and he himself were afraid to do. Saul didn't know where to go with this boy, this young man named David. But what he did know was that he was jealous. Jealous of the victory that David claimed that day in the name of God. On the other hand, even though he didn't know what to do with David, even though a seed of jealousy even took root that day, he didn't quite know what to do. Here is the, this young man. This young man that potentially could be useful to him. He immediately offers David that day a position in his army. Sure, David's standing there, not in the uniform of a soldier, but the uniform of a, of a shepherd. This scrawny boy stands there next to these burly soldiers who were already employed by the king. And so Saul invites David to join his army. David was a hero. Saul needed a hero. The nation that Saul governed needed a hero. The king's son was also there, Jonathan. Jonathan admired David. He admired David for his courage and he admired David for his faith. The faith that this young shepherd boy had in God inspired him. That day in that room, a kinship was forged between the two. A battle had been fought and won, but beyond that, a friendship between a young prince, Jonathan, and a ruddy shepherd boy named David began. The Philistine legend, Goliath, had been vanquished. A relationship had been built. Both were surprising and both were God-ordained. Jonathan saw David as a kind of friend that he'd always longed for. David didn't aspire to hobnob with the royalty. He wanted nothing from Jonathan other than friendship. And David had something that was apparent in that instant that they met. Jonathan observed David's heart. His heart that he found to be pure and motive-free and God-centered. He might even say that David was a man after God's own heart. David had always lived in the shadows of his older brothers. The sheep had been his only friends. In fact, with a swift breeze in the right direction, you could tell that the sheep were David's closest friends. 
Anyway, David longed for a confidant. He longed for a partner in crime, so to speak. He longed for a friend that didn't bah, a friend that didn't smell when he got wet, a real friend, a friend that would last a lifetime. He saw that potential in Jonathan. And in that moment, David and Jonathan committed themselves to each other as friends. It was custom in their day when a friendship began many times to form what is a deeper kind of relationship, a covenant. And that's what they did that day. It's more of a commitment than we practice with friends in our culture. It's kind of like when we were kids and we'd spit on each other's hands and we'd shake on it. Or when we would prick each other's fingers, us guys, and we'd, we'd put our fingers together. And then we were blood brothers in that same vein. Jonathan, Scripture tells us, takes off his robe, gives it to David, representing his wealth. And he says to David, through that uh, action, David... My wealth is yours. Anything I have is yours if you need it. He also, Scripture tells us, gave him his tunic and his bow and his belt and even his sword that day. And what he was saying to David is, David, your enemies are my enemies. If you have a need, if you need protection, if I can help you, I'm here for you. As he gives him those those things that represented that. And so, I don't know about you, but I don't officially mark friendships by giving lavish gifts. If anybody wants to be my friend and you'd like to do that, you know, that's all right. It's not something we do. In fact, it, it seems even odd that, you know, as this friendship is established, that Jonathan goes to these links as this covenant is established. Maybe Maybe it's something that we would do well to consider in our relationships. That we develop relationships on that level at that depth with those kind of commitments. So back to the story. David and Jonathan make this covenant and David imagined him he was I'm sure shell-shocked he had started the day as an errand boy for his dad delivering some food to his brothers and that errand boy had progressed into giant killing and then army joining and then finally with covenant making with the prince. He was a shepherd boy turned hero by an almighty God. In the days and weeks and even months that followed as David joined Saul's army, God was with him. Everywhere he went, God was with him. King Saul would frequently call him to uh, go to this battle, help me with this mission. And every, at every turn, David was successful. He became the darling boy of the nation. All the people of the kingdom, especially the ladies, sang David's praises. And so, Saul's jealousy continued to be fueled. Those uh, days they didn't have pop stars but if that if that had happened in our day the pop stars would be singing songs about David there would probably be a blockbuster hit movie uh, uh, about the whole story to kill a giant story of a shepherd boy turned hero as David's popularity grew so grew the jealousy in King Saul's heart 
King David began to even, Scripture tells us, fear David. King Saul began to fear David. Saul knew that God was not pleased with his leadership, and he, in the silence of his private chambers, began to fuel his jealousy, his anger, his self-loathing that eventually then fueled his fear of David. He slowly began to see David not as a hero, but he saw David as a threat to his throne, to his power. And in his growing paranoia, he decided that something had to be done, something drastic. Imagine the massive throne room as David calls his closest advisors in, calling his own son in because Jonathan was closest to David. To make an announcement. Saul had allowed his anger and his jealousy and his fear to take over. And there was no reasoning with him. In fact, no one dared to contradict him because he was the king after all. And so there in that room, King Saul laid down a decree that David is to be killed. Killed. The words rang in the young prince's ears. David was his best friend. He saw the look in his father's eye and he knew the, the, the purity of David's heart and he knew it was wrong. He knew David didn't deserve it, but what was he going to do? What could he do? He had to make a split-second decision. So, as his dad wallowed in self-pity and continued to pronounce judgment on David, his friend, Jonathan slipped from the throne room to warn David. He knew what he had to do. Jonathan hurried to David's side. David couldn't believe what he was hearing. Surely Jonathan must have misread the situation. But there was an urgency in the voice of his dearest friend that spoke volumes. And so Jonathan, then as they talked, devised a plan to seek out the real heart of his father's decision as David made his way away from the capital. He thought of if he could just, Jonathan thought, if I could just talk to my dad, if I can just talk to him without all the advisors in the room, I can surely make sense of this situation and, and I can help my dad see what's really going on. I could change his mind about David if I could just get him alone. And so, imagine David, Jonathan, this whole situation. Jonathan so wanted to believe in his dad. And so, David, imagine him standing there and front of a mirror, rehearsing over and over again, practicing what he would say to his dad that next day. He must have replayed the speech over and over in his head. Jonathan nervously approaches his dad, makes some small talk, breaks the ice, and then launches into the subject. He begins to remind his dad of all the good things that David has done for the nation and for him. Remember, dad, the battle with Goliath when you and everybody else were afraid. But you remember what David did. And he related example after example of what David had done. How he had faithfully served his father. Telling him, dad, it's not David's fault that the people are enamored with him. And with unflinching resolve, he launches into a commentary unlike the king his dad had ever heard before. Saul saw a side of his son that he'd never seen before. He could see the love that Jonathan had for David. And as he spoke of David, Jonathan could see in his eyes his love also for his father, for Saul. 
The young prince penetrated the king's tough exterior and he won his heart that day. Jonathan listened in relief as the, his dad removed the price on David's head. David was spared at least for the moment. It's not the end of the story if you, again, read those three chapters. The fact of the matter is that tyrants rarely keep their word, if ever. And Saul was a tyrant. And Saul was no exception. And Saul did not keep his word. It wasn't very long until Saul allowed himself to fall back into the same thought patterns, throwing Jonathan's words about David aside, again trying to rid himself of the young hero, the giant killer. And the story continues on and on in a pattern of Saul's attempt to take David's life and Jonathan's zeal to protect his friend. And the point is this, a bridge was built that day when Goliath was vanquished and that covenant began. A bridge was built. A bridge that honored God and gives us a picture of what it looks like for us to build a God-honoring bridge to one another. A bridge. A bridge, a picture of what it looks like to be or to have a friend and to be a friend, as Scripture says, that sticks closer than a brother. So that friendship, that friendship between David and Jonathan illustrates for us the kind of bridge that we should be building to one another. And this morning, I just want us to learn some lessons from David and Jonathan. Actually, I want us to focus on Jonathan. Everybody wants to focus all the time on David. And David was a great man and has much to, for us to emulate. But let's focus on Jonathan. He doesn't get much play most of the time. But there are some elements, some lessons that we can learn from Jonathan's life, great lessons that will help us to build bridges to one another. The first lesson that we can learn from Jonathan was that Jonathan was willing to sacrifice. If we look at that passage, the first part of that passage in 1 Samuel 18 verse 4 that I referred to in our little story, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, Scripture says, and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan gave David things that he treasured, things that were important to him. He sacrificed, he shared in ways that communicated to David that he was committed, he was loyal, he was supportive. And when we think about relationships that make a difference, that make a difference when storms of life come, that make a difference that help us to encourage us and to mature us and help us to be better than ourselves, they have within them an element of sacrifice. Those are the kind of relationships where it's not just about what I get from that other person. It's not just what they can bring to the table that I can benefit from, but the bridges that we need to be building are bridges where we are willing to sacrifice, where we are willing to contribute. The ultimate example of that is the relationship that Christ has with us. He loved us so much. He, he uh, so wanted to have a friendship, a relationship with us, so wanted to build a bridge to us that Scripture says that he laid down his life for us. This passage, listen to it as it refers to the sacrifice that Christ made in John fifteen thirteen. It says, greater love has no one than this. Then he lay down his life for a friend. Jonathan did that. 
and was willing to do that for David. Jesus did it for us. He sacrificed, Jonathan did, uh, with his dad. He sacrificed his future. He sacrificed for David's sake. And we think about building bridges to one another. We need to be people as we walk through life with others. Like Jonathan, we must be willing. We need to be willing to build bridges that are built on sacrifice. Sacrifice. I'm willing to sacrifice in that, rela- in that relationship. I'm really willing to sacrifice my time, my resources, my influence, whatever it takes. Listen to what Jonathan says to David in chapter 20. He says, whatever, chapter 20, verse 14, whatever you say, I will do for you. And again, in a day and age when it's so easy for us to focus on ourselves, Jonathan teaches us what it means to focus on the other person, to sacrifice. Another thing that Jonathan teaches us that we learn from his example is that Jonathan did the right thing, and that's not always the easy thing. Jonathan did the right thing in that relationship. We know from the story that Saul hated David, that he, he even feared David. He was jealous of David. And when you look at the life of Saul and you read the story, you know that, that, that Saul was a guy that had a terrible temper. And Saul had a tendency when he got really mad to throw things. And we're not talking about pottery. We're talking about throwing things that take lives. Then when he got really mad, he would throw spears. I don't know if he had just a, like a pile of spears laying by the, his throne, but Scripture tells us on a couple of occasions that he throws spears. He even threw one at Jonathan. And so when Jonathan stands up for David, when he crosses his father, he was doing the right thing, not the easy thing. And he was willing to do it. When that day when... Uh, Saul had said that he wanted David dead. This, listen to what Jonathan says back in, in 1 Samuel 19. This is what Jonathan says to his dad. And imagine this guy that has a terrible temper that everybody knows about, probably one hand on a spear. Uh, this is what he says to uh, Saul. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He's not wronged you, and what he's done has benefited you. Greatly, he says. Jonathan stood up for his friend and he did it under the most difficult of circumstances. And we need that kind of friend and we need to be that kind of friend that will do the right thing, not always the easy thing in that relationship. More often than not, our relationships are characterized by the struggle that Paul had when he, in the second, his second letter to young Timothy, in the fourth chapter, the tenth verse, he writes this, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And then he talks about a couple of other guys that are gone as well. Demas had deserted Paul. Why? Because Demas was doing what was easy, not necessarily what was right. The easy thing. He deserted him because of his love for the world. When it got difficult, Demas bailed on Paul. Again, when we build a bridge to one another, what we learn from Jonathan is that we should be willing to build a bridge and we should be willing to do the right thing, which is not always the easy thing. I think back um, to a time in my ministry, I had a friend, golfing buddy, um, a little older than I am. And my golfing buddy began to 
that I sometimes golf with, began to, began to realize that he was having an inappropriate relationship with someone of the opposite sex that was not his wife. Now, the easy thing to do is to ignore that. I remember the anxiety, the struggle of what to do. And I remember, just like we imagined Jonathan, going over and over and over in his mind what to say. And I remember being in my office and going over and over and over and over again what I would say as my friend came for the appointment that I had made. And as he shut the door, and as we talked, sometimes we have to do the right thing. That's not always the easy thing when we're really in a relationship, when we're building bridges to one another to honor, that honor God. The next thing that we learn from Jonathan is that Jonathan teaches us to keep confidences. If you look at these chapters 18 through 20 again if you look at the from you know several of them what you notice on a number of occasions is that there is Saul and he's wanting David dead and Jonathan is trying to intervene and David and Jonathan are talking about what to do and then Jonathan would go and he would talk to Saul and they would he would try to, to mend this relationship and there are several occasions where Jonathan tries to do that. Imagine how easy it would have been to have gotten the favor of his dad on any number of occasions just to break in simple, small ways that confidence of David. If he just, if he just told Saul where David was, after all. That's not that big a deal, is it? But every time, Jonathan kept David's confidence. We see in chapter 19, verse 7, that after this conversation that Jonathan had had with Saul... It says that Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation and he brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before. David and, and, and Saul's relationship for at least that time was mended because Jonathan kept David's confidence and went and he talked to his dad and he talked it out and he, he went on his behalf and he healed that relationship. Jonathan teaches us what it really means to be in community with people. What it really means to control our tongue. What it really means to keep someone's confidence. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter, 9, or chapter 10 verse 19 that says, When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who t- holds his tongue is wise. There's a lot of truth in that passage. Jonathan understood that truth. And in that relationship, he was honoring God as he kept David's confidence. And we must, as we build bridges to one another, we must also learn this lesson. We must be people who hold confidences. Let me just share with you a little thing that you probably have gotten the memo on this. But if not, it's truth you can take to the bank. And that is if you are in a conversation with someone and they are breaking someone else's confidence, if there is something that they're telling you that, that you know that person would not, other person would not want you to know about or to hear about, it doesn't have anything to do with you, they just are telling you this inside scoop on this story. If they are doing it about that person with you, they will do it about you to someone else. But we forget that. We must hold and keep confidences. 
It's very rare in our world to find someone that we can really, really trust whose word is really, really worth something. That's a commodity in our day and age. And Jonathan's word was good. I served on a board with a, a guy, and everybody on the board knew that if you said something, that chances are that that, whatever was said, would be repeated. And so we got to the point on this board, a very important board on the church, very important board where, where they just totally broke down because no one could trust and really share what really needed to be said in that confidential kind of meeting that, that was for the good of the body. And you have to talk at times about things that are, need to be confidential as you work through issues. But we couldn't do it because this guy was the nicest guy in the world, but you knew, you knew, we all knew that he couldn't be trusted. People know if you can be trusted. If that's not you, then commit today to learn the lesson of Jonathan and hold your tongue. Because not being able to keep a confidence destroys bridges, it doesn't build them. The final lesson that we learn from Jonathan is a lesson that we learn actually from both David and Jonathan, and it is that they were willing to risk real authenticity. Jonathan, willing to risk real authenticity. There's another one of those times when Saul was out to kill David and, and um, David says to Jonathan, I think he wants me dead. And Jonathan, oh no, my dad, he really, that's not the case. And so Jonathan says, I'll go and talk to him and I'll find out. And, and he, they came up with this plan where David would be hiding and he would find out and then he would let David know. And so they had this elaborate plan. We see it in chapter 20. And David gets the, gets the or Jonathan gets the lowdown on his dad and what he really thinks and having delivered that news to David that his dad really does want him dead we see David's heart is broken and here in the 41st verse we see this moment of raw emotion as these two men model again authenticity and they risk it with each other and listen to what it says after the boy had gone David got up from the south side of the stone he'd been hiding and, and so it's just now the two of them, everyone else is gone, and he says that he bowed down before, the, before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground, and they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. David's heart was broken that Saul wanted him dead. And because David's heart was broken, Jonathan's heart was broken, and it says that they wept together. That bridge, that strong bridge had been built between the two of them that allowed them to be authentic and real with each other. Two grown men crying together. Things haven't changed all that much. It was a big deal for these two men to cry in his day as it is in our day. Something I think men have always struggled with. We've always struggled with real authenticity. But we see it modeled for us as they were able to be open with each other. They are able to be vulnerable with each other. David and Jonathan revealed to us the way it should be. Not that we have to cry with one another. You don't have to do that. But it means that we are willing to be real. That we're willing to take the mask off. We're willing to show what's really going on in our hearts. 
Again, David and Jonathan revealed the way it should be. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Building bridges to one another in God-honoring ways means we build bridges where we are willing to risk authenticity with others. Last week, I shared with you an accountability partner that I have. I talked to my friend yesterday, and we shared some things in confidence with one another. And he's someone that I can be real with. He's someone that I can share my heart with. He's someone that knows. I don't know if you've gotten the memo yet, but I'm not perfect. Crystal can give you a little word of testimony if you need it. Um, and I need someone that, that can hold me accountable and can, and can say the difficult things. And we all need that. We need someone where we can take the mask off and we can be real, we can be authentic. David and Jonathan model for us the elements that build strong bridges to one another. We need more Jonathans in our world. We need more Jonathans in our church. We need... You and I do, a Jonathan in our lives, or Jonathans in our lives. And we need to be Jonathans to other people. So what's your reputation? We've talked about Dave, or Jonathan's reputation that we find here in Scripture. What is your reputation? Do you model sacrifice in your relationships with people? Are you willing to do the difficult thing that's not, not always the easy thing, but it's the right thing? Do you do the right thing in those relationships? Can you be trusted to keep a confidence? Can people be real around you? Or because you are not willing to take your mask off, then they can sense that and they never take theirs off. I want to challenge us today, First Church, to be Jonathans. Our world needs it. We need it. This church needs it. Our community needs it. Heavenly Father, God, as our worship team comes back up and as we respond to you, I pray that you would help your word to just take hold and take root in our lives. Father, forgive us in those times that our relationships have been all about what we get out of it. Those times when we have looked the other way and not done the difficult things. We've opted for the easy things instead of the right things. In those times, Father, when, when we've not kept that person's confidence and we even though they may never know it we broke it father forgive us for those times when we have kept our masks on and times when maybe someone else and maybe us needed us to be we needed to be authentic father as we now conclude our time together I pray that you would help us just commit that we will build bridges to one another, bridges that are strong and firm, bridges that model what honors you. Help us now, Father, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? As you leave from here, it's been wonderful to have you in worship with us. If you're here with us for the very first time, welcome to First Church. We're glad to have you with us. All the way down this hallway, this gathering area to your right is a little room. If you're here for the first time, we'd love to meet you there. Um, we've got a little gift we'd love to give you and just say thank you for being with us today and maybe answering questions you might have about First Church. Encourage you also as you leave to consider. 
putting yourself in positions, in places where you can grow, where you can build bridges to one another. People need you, and you need people. Amen. Let's not be alone in our relationships. So may the Lord bless you as you leave today and serve him.